I definitely like feel very privileged and lucky that like this opportunity happened, but I also feel like I put the work in to like meet the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like an important kind of takeaway too, that it's like you have to be ready for like when something comes and like be ready to kind of take it on. Yeah. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. I'm so happy to introduce today's guest, Mallory Mortellero. Mallory and I both graduated from Drew University from the same class, and we both studied English, and Mallory also studied art history. And we had some classes together, and I, I think we probably you know, talked a little bit here or there, but we were both kind of shy and introverted and we didn't really get to know each other while we were in college. But a couple months ago, Mallory reached out to me to let me know that she had been listening to the podcast. And I was so happy to hear from her because, you know, I always thought she seemed really cool and really nice and wanted to get to know her better. And I was just so grateful that she reached out just to say kind words about the show. And I instantly was like, I want to interview you for the podcast because I had also seen Mallory in the news um, a couple years after we graduated. Um, So a few years ago, Mallory was 22, recently graduated from college, working full-time as a middle school English teacher. And she was also doing some part-time archival work for a small private foundation in our college town of Madison here in New Jersey. It's called the Hartley Dodge Foundation. And one day she was taking stock of the foundation's art collection when she stumbled upon a statue in the corner of the town council chambers. She was feeling around for a signature and found the signature of Auguste Rodin, um, who was a very famous 19th, late 19th, early 20th century French sculptor. So basically this led her on a path of trying to determine whether it was a true, authentic Rodin statue, if it was a counterfeit. Eventually, the statue was authenticated through Mallory's hard work over the course of a year, and this led to a ton of national and international media attention, and Mallory was invited to give a commencement address for Drew's class of 2018. I highly recommend watching her address. She gives such a good speech. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can also just go to YouTube, type in Mallory Mortellero, Drew University, and it'll come up. It was so good to sit down with Mallory and talk about her experience of authenticating the statue and everything that she learned about growing up and um, learning through experience. And we also talked about college in general, um, how both of us kind of struggled with the transition into college. Like we were good students, but the change was a lot. And we're both also quite introverted. So the social scene, which is super extroverted, I think at every college pretty much, um, and can be really overwhelming. Uh, So we talked about our experience of that and also our post-grad lives, um, learning how to be perpetual students and to pursue our curiosity and passions without enrolling in school and racking up a ton more student debt. (laughs) Um, And we also, at the end, we talk a little bit about how Mallory has built up her self-trust and her confidence. And some of that has to do with being loved well 
by another person. And I just wanted to say that, you know, though Mallory and I talk about our boyfriends in this context, I really firmly believe that there are so many different kinds of love and so many relationships that can give us an anchor and help us learn how to love ourselves. It's not just romantic relationships that offer that. So I just wanted to make sure I made a note of that. It was so nice to sit down with Mallory and just another beautiful little gift from this podcast, like getting to connect with someone that I might not have expected to be have the opportunity to connect with again. So thank you for listening. I hope life has a lovely little surprise in store for you this week. Enjoy the show. Mallory, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Victoria. <laughs> um, so I thought I would start by going back in time a little bit. So like at the, in the beginning of the, of the commencement address, you said to the graduates, you may believe that you're going to wake up tomorrow and feel different because you graduated college. I'm here to tell you that tomorrow you will be the same. And I loved that because I was like, yes, that's exactly how I felt after college. Um, so I would love to start by just, if you like go back in time and you're in your, cap and gown in May of 2013, like sitting on a folding chair in the grass outside of Mead Hall. (laughs) Um, How were you feeling that day when you were graduating from undergrad? I mean, I think that um, for me, graduation was a little bit different because I actually had completed my studies earlier. I walked formally with the class in in the spring, Mm -hmm. but I had been um, somewhat removed from that. I mean, socially, like I still would go and see friends and, and things, but um, I ended up graduating early. So I, but I chose to walk in in the spring with everybody so that I could be part of that, you know, um, experience. And I studied art history and English in undergrad, and I thought that I wanted to do some kind of work in a museum, and then. When I was doing internships, I found that a lot of the internships, even when you're in a cool museum, are kind of boring desk jobs. (laughs) And I was a little disenchanted. Um, And also seeing just how it was like you needed a master's degree just to like have another boring desk job. And it just seemed... um, it wasn't exactly what I imagined it to be, which I think is like what happens to like every like 22 year old when you think you're going to do something really cool with your life because you took these classes that are super interesting and got you all excited about these topics. Um, but I was starting to kind of, I don't want to say fall out of love with that because I still uh, was very interested in art history and, and everything, but maybe like a little disenchanted with like what the actual career path looked like. And in the meantime, I was working, I had a job as a personal assistant, um, and sort of business assistant for a, a, a place in Summit, New Jersey, that I had been working at throughout college. And then when I was finished with my studies, they kind of let me work as much as I wanted to or as little as I needed to, depending, bouncing with internships and, and stuff. So I definitely had like a full schedule and I had a job and I had a paycheck. So um, that kind of gave me time to kind of think about like, well, what do I really want to do? There was a time I wanted to go to law school. <laughs> there was a time that I thought maybe I'd just be a paralegal. Um, I thought for a little while I might like go to Nepal and like yeah. teach monks English <laughs> that lasted for like 24 hours. Yeah, but, yeah. So, like you have all these ideas, but I remember feeling kind of foolish about it because like I was having all these ideas, like once I was like finished with like my studies that I wasn't really during college. I was very like, well, I'm going to work in a museum. Like, and so I, I didn't really like waver during that time. And then it was like, once I was done and kind of like saw what this looked like, 
that's when I started to waver and I was like, that was silly. Like you were just like in college, like, and now you're unsure, but it didn't feel like as much of a crisis because like at the same time I had a job and, um, and they were super supportive of me there. And like, they were, it was kind of like trying to help me figure out like (laughs) what I wanted to do and things like that. Um, and then it was seriously about like a week after graduation that I decided that I wanted to be a teacher, which also, um, so during that time, like actually at graduation, like I didn't really know what I wanted. Um, and so, I mean, it really literally was a week later that like I kind of picked something. So at that time at graduation, I was, I mean, I was definitely excited and, and everything, but I also did kind of feel like what now, which, you know, I think a lot of people do. Yeah. And I love the idea of like you say in the commencement address, that life isn't as much about before and after as you thought, like that you had in your head this idea that it would be like, that you would get to this point where you have like everything figured out. And I definitely, I think college graduation hit me so hard because I really thought, (laughs) I just like never pictured myself out of school and not a student and like an adult. Yeah. (laughs) Which sounds ridiculous now, (laughs) but like I really had no conception of what that would look like. And I really thought I was going to be like a different person Mm -hmm. or you just, yeah, exactly. Like you think that you'll have it like so together then, you know, and my mom always used to say that to me that like, I always thought some magic age, like maybe 28, like it would be like, it would all come together. She's like, and it doesn't. And like, it totally, like, I think like we all feel like that, that like there's some point where like, it's all just going to click and like, you have to kind of be okay with the fact that like, it doesn't. Yeah. (laughs) And it is really, it is kind of comforting to like hear that said out loud. Um, I think especially because around graduation, a lot of people are giving you these talks about like taking on the world and like taking the world by storm. And I actually remember that at our commencement, um, do you remember, uh, Dr. Okio Grosso? Grosso. Mm -hmm. He was a Shakespeare professor and I guess he had technically retired like that spring. Yeah. It was, I think like his parting. Yeah. But he was like the main speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really appreciated his speech because I don't often remember what people say at things like that, but yeah. I very distinctly remember him saying, like, ask not for, for whom the, for bell, whom tolls. the bell tolls. It, yeah, it, was, it tolls for you. Yeah, I remember that too. And him saying, like, yes, it's great that you, like, have this education and you, you are an individual with, like, talents and things like that, but you also are connected to everyone else and you have a responsibility to others and to each other. And I was mm-hmm. like... Dang, I don't feel like we hear that enough, you know? Yeah, no, I, I remember his. His was good. Yeah. So anyway, um, backing up a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, when you started college, what was your, how did you feel going going into college and once you were on campus? Like, I feel like I heard all these messages of like, this is the time of your life. These are the best years of your life. And I often felt kind of like, almost guilty in a way that like I wasn't always enjoying myself to the fullest or I felt like oh I guess everyone else is having an amazing time and like I don't you know I am struggling in different ways um and it was like definitely like I was excited to go to college but I was definitely really nervous about like leaving home for the first time and like going to a school where I didn't know anyone and living away from home and living with a roommate and all (laughs) of these things So yeah, I'm curious like what, how you felt going in and 
how you related to that idea of like, this is the time of your life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I realized now as <laughs> I'm so much older and wiser <laughs> that like, I am just very resistant to like big change that, you know, and so, I mean, college was like such a big change. And I even remember, I think I told you last time we were talking that like the first time like your guidance counselor like takes you in to their office to talk about college. Like I just like my eyes like filled up with tears and they were like, okay, we don't have to talk about this right now and sent me back to class. And like, I was like a very good student and like super involved in everything. I think like I seemed like the type of person that'd be like, oh, like let's look at all these different schools. Like, you know, here's your reach school. Here's, and they were just like, all right, you don't have to talk about this right now. And um, so, I mean, college was scary. (laughs) You know, I mean, I was, um, especially, you know, someone who, like you've said, like this idea of like, this is gonna be the best time of your life. Like party, 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 Mm -hmm. like was just like never something that really like appealed to me. Um, and not that like I wasn't social, but like I wasn't someone who was like, yeah, let's party and drink and everything like that. That just wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Um, so that part of it was like a little nerve wracking. Um, and I actually lived on campus, uh, sorry, off campus, um, my freshman year. And I only lived on campus for part of my junior year. Um, and in the beginning I was like very torn about it. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, everyone's like going to be making friends without me. And it definitely is harder like when you're off campus, but I also feel like I, and maybe, maybe this is like part of why some parts of college were, uh, more challenging, but like, I, I feel like I had a lot of things like outside of college where like, I feel like people go to college and like, you become like wrapped up in like this university is like everything to me. And like, I loved going to classes and like meeting people and things like that. But I also, you know, like had a job outside of school. Like I, my boyfriend went to a different school and, you know, I had hobbies outside of the college. So for me like that, I want to say like, made me fragmented, but like a little bit like that. I sort of had like identity outside Mm -hmm. of, um, of the school, but I definitely agree with you that like you do hear like, these are supposed to be like the best years of your life. And, um, it was like a little sobering sometimes, like (laughs) no pun intended, um, that like, you know, sometimes like you don't feel like that. And I've actually just been listening, re-listening because I, I listened to it a couple years ago, but, um, Susan Cain's book, Quiet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was, like, a lot of it was, and it's funny, because, like, listening to it now as a teacher, like, it was a very different perspective, Mm -hmm. but, like, how, like, much of, like, you know, it's, like, the extrovert ideal, and, like, I think, like, college, like, the idea of it, like, is very, like, for the, like, the social scene anyways, like, for the extrovert, and, like, when you're not that person, it's, you know, it's not really, like, what you would think of as fun. And again, like, I'm not like someone who's like, Oh my gosh, like I couldn't like be around people. Like, it's not like that. It's just like, that's not what I would choose. Yeah. So, I mean, I even remember like in high school, like going to prom and like having a great time with my friends. But I remember like looking around at everyone and being like, so this is what people enjoy. Like, (laughs) and like this like anthropological, like in your head perspective of being like, huh, this is interesting. I mean, I think it's okay, but like, I always feel like an anthropologist yeah. in social situations. Like, <laughs> what do people do? Like, how? What do people do with their hands? Like, in, like yeah. when you're, if you're not, if you don't have like a drink or something, like, all of a sudden, I'm very aware of like, what do you do in these situations? No, exactly. We were just at a wedding this past weekend, and it was like there were no toasts going on. There was like oh, no, gosh. like no dancing, and and I just like kept saying to my boyfriend, like, what are we supposed to be doing yeah. now? And he's like, Mal, just like be a human and like talk to other people. It's okay. I'm like, okay, but like, but like, what's our objective here? I, are we like, what are we doing? I love having structure yeah. to social situations. <laughs> like, I heard someone, two of my friends were talking about. 
like a, a wedding that they went to and uh, one of my friends was saying like, yeah, it was kind of just like one big cocktail hour. Like there was no, it was like a buffet style dinner. So there was no like sit down dinner, no speeches. Like it was so much fun. And I was like, that sounds like hell. <laughs> yeah. Like I live for the structure. I live for the like, now you sit down for dinner <laughs> and like you can have a conversation with one or two people. And like, now you can sit and just listen to speeches so you don't have to make conversation yeah. <laughs> anymore. Um, so yeah. And I, it's so funny. Like you were saying, um, like you reached out to me after you had heard the podcast and that's how, Mm -hmm. like when we were in school, when we were at Drew, we had some classes together, but Mm -hmm. I don't think we have, like we probably talked a little bit here and there, but like we didn't really get to know each other. And like hearing you describe your experience, I'm like, oh my gosh, we could have been friends. Like (laughs) Exactly. And that's like the like curse of the introvert, I guess. Like you don't find each other. Because I, I just remember like, very similar to you. It's kind of funny. Like I was also, you know, I was a good student. So it's like, of course you're going to go to college. And, um, I was also very like nervous about it. And I remember, um, I just remember that like orientation week was just like a nightmare. (laughs) It was because it was, it was just completely for extroverts, like throw you into this like big gym and be like, okay, we're going to do all these like activities. And I just remember feeling like, it seems like so many people know each other already. Like, how does everyone know each other already? No, I remember even, like, that first, like, day of yes. orientation being, like, I same thing where yeah. I'm, like, do they, like, all know each yeah. other? Like, I'm, like, are those people dating already? <laughs> like, what is happening here? And I feel like some people did um, connect through Facebook, like, over the summer. Yeah. So there definitely were people who had But that's been, like, weird, talking. too. I always feel like, because it's, like, it's, like, you're, ta- like, I don't know. And, like, not to be, like, judgmental of that, but it's, like, it's, like, people that, like, say they're dating, like, someone online before they, like, yeah. met them. And it's, like, I think, like, I don't know. Now it's, like, we, like, become friends, like, online before we're, yeah. like, friends in real life. Like, and it's I a wasn't little... super active on Facebook, so yeah. I just didn't even... I had no idea that that was going to be the case when I got there. Well, so I had one person who knew someone that I knew from high school and I had written a play like my senior year for like an independent study and like he had written a play and we like switched plays and I thought it would be like a fun like oh like you know we'll have something to talk about when mm-hmm. we get to Drew and then he like just like I said hi and like he never talked to me <laughs> so then it was just really awkward and like watching me listening to this and be like wow I'm like so sorry <laughs> but uh you know, so it was because it's like we like critiqued each other's writing. I was like, great, like I'll have a friend. Yep. And then it was like awkward because like now we like talked online, but like we're not actually talking in yep. person. It's it like such it a teenage weirder. problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So I definitely like I wish we had found each other in that sea of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember like I, I didn't I didn't cry in my high school guidance counselor's office, but like that <laughs> first week, the first time we had to meet with our advisors at Drew. Mm-hmm. Um I remember sitting in Dean Levin's office and I just started crying and he was like, uh, and I was like, I don't know. I'm just like, I just have a lot of anxiety right now. (laughs) And I was so embarrassed because everyone else already seemed like they were just like having, having a great time. And I was like, I don't know. I just feel very overwhelmed and please don't make me go on this scavenger hunt later today. (laughs) And he was like, okay, you don't have to go. And I was like, thanks. Yeah. No, I mean, I think of it even like I say, like now as a teacher, sometimes I think of like that, like extrovert introvert thing, because like for our sixth graders at the middle school, we do like a big camping trip, like for the Mm -hmm. first, like one of the first weekends. And the first year that I was at the school, I chaperoned it. I mean, it's like an awesome trip. Like they like put so much planning into it and it's really well done. But I remember just thinking like, as a kid, I would have hated this. Like, and not that I would have it's, I mean, I would have, like, participated in everything because, like, I was, like, a good kid and, like, did whatever I was told. But, like, I would have either thought it was stupid or, like, just, like, been really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
I think so much of that though is like, oh, like kids are going to love like shouting and like having to yeah. like do like, you know, group work to like go over this fence or whatever, like silly, like, you know, group work kind of thing it is. But like, and like, I bet like 80% of the kids do love it, but like, it is also really hard for those kids that aren't into that. And I feel like that's kind of like how like college is like yeah. all of it where it's like, we're all going to shout at each other until we become <laughs> friends. Yeah. And I, and I did live in the dorms. And that was also, like, I think that was the reason I was, like, breaking down in Dean Levin's office was, like, already it was, like, okay, I was living in a very tiny room with a stranger. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, she was really nice and, like, we got to know each other. But, like, that first week, like, I didn't, like, you know, it was a lot to be, like, okay, I'm living with a stranger in this really small space and... They're coming around telling me I have to leave my door open all the time <laughs> and I have to join them for the like floor activities and I have to go to all these orientation activities and I've never felt lonelier in my whole life. And like every time I even try to say hi to someone, it just seems like it goes really badly. And <laughs> so, yeah, um, I just felt like it's, it's something that I don't know. I don't hear it named maybe more so now, but at least at the time when we were there, I was like, this was like pre-Susan Kane, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a really, when you think of it, like take you away from like everything you've yeah. known, like every person. And like, I also thought, I mean, I remember being really overwhelmed. I mean, I also like graduated early. So I was, I was taking like at the most classes I could, which like in retrospect, I don't really know. Like, what, I mean, it ended up working out like, and it was financially a good decision, Yeah, but but I think that was also just like me being like, oh, I can take this many credits. Like I need to take that many credits. But I remember being really overwhelmed, like academically, not yeah. that I didn't feel like I could do the work, but I always remember thinking like I was a good kid in high school, yeah. studied, did all my homework, did everything I was supposed to do. And like, I am working my butt off to like, yeah. you know, get good grades. And I remember I was thinking like, what are these people who are like partying all the time and like yeah. maybe like didn't work as hard in high school? Like, how are they doing yeah. it? Or aren't they doing it, I guess. But um, so like that coupled with like, everything else it's you know it's definitely like a trying time that yeah. uh, I'm glad like we don't have to go through again <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes like as a sometimes I'm like what would that be like if I was put into that situation now and it's interesting because like I think at the time I also was still I was judging myself by the extrovert ideal and also by the very like western american like the the individual thing of like, mm -hmm. you just have to go out on your own, do it alone, make it alone, like build yourself alone. Um, like go out and make these friends. But like, like you're saying, like you are taken like from your home and your family and your friends and every like supportive individual, yeah. you know, that you've had in your life. If, if you do, you know, um, if you live on campus, but even if you're not living mm -hmm. on campus, like, and you're plopped into this little world, and it's like, all right, like, like, of course that's going to be hard. Like, that's yeah. so counterintuitive. That's so like, that's not, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, an interesting thing that we've created. And it's like, to think that there's something wrong with anyone who's struggling in that situation versus saying like, well, maybe the situation's a little bit of an anomaly. <laughs> yeah, know? no, it is. And I think too, like at that age, I think, I mean, I feel like for the most part, I was always like pretty true to like who I was, but I think like at that age, like you're much more likely to be like, Oh, like this is the cookie cutter. I'm supposed to like try to like force myself yeah. into like, yeah. you know, I mean, cause even like my friends, like, like I never, like I was not one to like drink and stuff like that. I mean, I still like don't drink. And, but I remember like in high school, like 
my friends didn't drink. And then how many of them, like, when we got to college, like, they all drank. And I remember I was being like, and I'm not, like, judging this as, like, a moral thing. Like, I don't care what you do. But I remember just being like, wait, like, were you not drinking because, like, your parents didn't want you to? Like, I was not drinking because, like, I actually, like, yeah. wasn't interested in that. Which, like, I feel like made me feel like, wait, like, that's, you were, like, not really who you wanted to, you know, or yeah. you were trying to, like, be someone else. Or maybe now you're trying to be someone else. And I think, like, at that age, like, you are, like just trying to fit in, you yeah. know, and, and we're like, now I feel like, you know, we've gotten to the point where like, you're kind of comfortable with like who you are and like what your limits are and things that you're like, no, thank you. That's yes. not my style. Um, where I think like college is just hard because either you're trying to like swim with all the other fish or like be so different that you're like, look, I'm an individual, yeah. like I'm not like them. And so, I mean, I think it, it's, it's kind of like this dichotomy of like yep. either conform or like really don't, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's definitely, I definitely felt like I was comparing myself to these different ideals that I had in my head or pressures from, because there are also pressures from other people. Like I was constantly being pressured by other people to Mm -hmm. like party and drink and stuff um, in ways that I didn't really feel comfortable. And it's hard to like, it's hard to stay to even know what staying true to yourself means when you're 18 and you're like not really sure. No, exactly. So. Yeah, it is definitely, like, a weird, weird time. Yeah. I feel like I would do a lot better in college now. Because I'd be <laughs> like, I'd be like, this is pure luxury to just get to go to class. I know, right? Freaking love it. And then also just, like, I wouldn't really give much of a crap if, like, what people thought. Or, like, I would yeah. just do what I wanted to do and not feel so bad about myself. Yeah, no. And I think that, like, part of, like, graduating early was me like almost kind of outgrowing like yeah. the college life like in some ways that I was like I'm ready to like move on and like I loved like being in school you mm-hmm. know like but I was also like kind of like getting a little antsy to like do something yeah um and then of course like you know graduating was like what do I do now but yeah. <laughs> you know it's still I think like you start to outgrow it a little bit or maybe some people don't but yeah know, there's that well, that's a that's a beautiful segue. You are <laughs> such a good podcaster already. You should have Look your own that. podcast. Um, so when you okay, so when we did graduate, and I know you went into the the teaching program like the next year, yep. right? Um, and then you were also working for the Hartley Dodge Foundation to catalog like historical photographs and artwork yep. that they had, right? Um, so can you talk a little bit about the the experience of stumbling upon this statue and then I know that it was it's not like it was just like this one light bulb moment like it took you like a year to authenticate it right yeah, yeah. um so yeah could you talk a little bit about yeah. that experience so I started working for the Hartley Dodge Foundation while I was in the MAT program at Drew um and it was literally just a job posted a temporary job posted on uh like the Drew career database And I already had like a part-time job and stuff like that, but I'm always like looking for jobs. Like even now, like I'm always like browsing (laughs) my boyfriend's like, what are you doing? I'm like looking for jobs. And he's like, but like, you're already like more employed than you need to be. But I don't know. I'm always looking. You never know what's out there. Um, (laughs) And so it was for like a part-time art cataloger, like right in Madison. And I was like, that sounds like something that I could do, you know? And um, when I reached out, the foundation like met with me right away and they were super friendly and it was seemed like a really nice fit. Um, at that point I'd interned in some museums and, um, they, you know, liked my energy and enthusiasm about the project, but, um, and the, you know, some experience that I had. 
And so it was supposed to be, I think like six months they gave me basically um, to go through because they had a collection, but they didn't have really like any records of it and anything written down. And the big thing that I was cataloging was the um, photography collection. They had, um, they have um, a large collection of historic photographs that are um, all over the Hartley Dodge Memorial, but they, they had like literally over 200 of them, but no system. Um, and sometimes people would borrow them or like different galleries would borrow them and they didn't have any way to keep track of what they had and what was going in and out. So my main job was to make um, a catalog for them so they could, uh, you know, some kind of system so they could keep track of those. And then they did also say like, you know, we also do have some artwork. So if you can include that as well. And then if you're interested in researching anything, you know, we'd love more information, but that wasn't like really my main focus. Um, and so I asked like, okay, like, can you give me like what you have expecting them to have some like dusty folder somewhere of like, you know, what things are. And they said, we have nothing. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> starting from the ground up. Oh my gosh. Um, and so I was doing what I was supposed to do with the photographs and cataloging those and the artwork that they had in the council chambers, I started going through and just kind of like really making a note of like, we have this many paintings, this many sculptures, one marble, two bronze, you know, kind of just basic things like that. And then I started looking to see if there were like signatures or, um, you know, dates on anything just to give us a little bit more of a clue. Um, and that was when I was looking at the large marble bust that was sitting in the corner. Um, and on the, so that was in the corner and it was kind of like not wedged completely. Like it's not like it was like pressed against the mm -hmm. wall, but it's on a pedestal. And frankly, like if you were just in that room for like a town meeting or something, which is what's held in there, like you should not be getting like this close to the sculpture. <laughs> so like, it's understandable that nobody um, would see the markings on it. But when I was asked to go investigate, I looked and I saw the signature that said a Rodin. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was one of those things where I was kind of like, hang on, <laughs> like, this is certainly, like, not actually a Rodin, because, like, they said that, like, they didn't know what was really in here, and it's just some artwork, and it's, like, sitting in Madison's town hall, so this can't really be, like, actually a Rodin, but, um, you know, like, I'll, like, take pictures of this, like, make a note of it, come back to it, um, and again, because it was, like, only this temporary job, like, I had, like, a deadline of when I had to have, like, the actual, like, photography catalog done so like I had other kind of things to do at the time but I was like all right I'm gonna come back to that and like think about it and Maybe I was that other road day <laughs> you know <laughs> you know law's distant cousin or something not nearly as successful um but anyway like but the more I was thinking about it I was like hang on this is like this collection all came from a Rockefeller like it's not mm -hmm. like I found this like in my grandmother's attic mm -hmm. I'm like oh there's a road in no <laughs> so I was you know the more I was thinking about it I was like this is you know could be something pretty significant um, so when I had to tell, well, I had to give the trustees their catalog at like the end of our like six month time, like they invited me to this little meeting they were having and, um, I gave them my work and like, they were supposed to just like give me a check and like pat me on the back and like, we were supposed to say goodbye. But at that time I was like, let me tell them, you know, about the signature. And I told them and they were like, well, how do you really know this, you know, is the road in? I'm like, well, it says it right on it. <laughs> so we all like went over to it and it was in the other room from where our meeting was. And like, they all took turns, like we took a flashlight from our phones and, and shown it on there. And they asked me to like step out of the room for a second. And I was like, okay, I don't know what they're talking about. And then they invited me back in and they said, you should stay on indefinitely. Uh, we'd like to invite you to continue working on this. Oh my gosh. So... That was super, I have to say, like, 
I'm like so grateful to them because I think at that point they easily could have been like, great Mallory, thank you. And (laughs) I called in the big guns, but I was like 22 years old and had an undergraduate degree in art history. And they were like, all right, like we believe in you enough, like to, you know, try to try to see what you can find out. Um, And so that was like, that experience I feel like is like unprecedented. Like you wouldn't get that anywhere Mm. else. And kind of like what I was saying before, where like all these museum jobs were like, you're sitting at a desk and like plugging yeah. things into spreadsheets. Like this was like the exact opposite yeah. <laughs> of that. Um, at the same time though, it was also kind of like, there was no boss saying like, well, Mallory, like go to this library and ask for this. It was like me kind of sitting there being like, what, what now? <laughs> um, which was like at times like a little frustrating, but like in the best way, like the best kind yeah. of frustration, but also like, I didn't have anyone saying like, all right, now go talk to this person or like check these resources or do this. Like it was just like, all right, see what you can find. And they were like super duper encouraging and like they weren't art experts, experts either. Right. Like, uh, I mean, the board is made up of like a diverse uh, group mm. of people. So they're, they're um, people who are um, one of the trustees who I work closely with is an architectural historian. So okay. they are definitely um like a very educated group and they also know a lot about Geraldine and like her Mm -hmm. family and things like that. Um, but it's not like someone on there like is a professional art historian with a PhD, you know, it's not, um, like that sort of thing, but, um, but yeah, they were really supportive and what I finally was able to do, I just started reaching out to like different, um, museums that had like Rodin collections. Um, I was looking through like every catalog of every Rodan show, every book about Rodan, and I wasn't finding anything with this piece. And when I would reach out to different uh, museums, a lot of times they would either not write me back or they would say like, look, everyone thinks they have a Rodan, <laughs> you know, he's like one of the most counterfeited artists, you know, things like that. Oh. And they would kind of just like, you know, say like, here, check like these resources, but like, there's not, you know, much we can do. And then finally, uh, the Frick got back to me and because I was also asking like if anyone had like an expert who could help us authenticate it, um, the Frick explained to me that like they didn't authenticate, uh, sculpture themselves, but they said for Rodin, the person that you had to get in touch with was this guy named Jerome LeBlay at the committee Rodin and the committee Rodin, they explained to me basically had like a database of all of Rodin's artwork and where it is, where it's been, kind of the provenance or the history of ownership of all these pieces. So they said, if anybody knows about this piece, it's going to be them. So you've got to get in touch with them. So I was really excited because this took like four months to get to this point wow. where like finally we had like someone who was giving us um, something that could be useful. And I reached out to them and they sent me back a, a standardized form that you fill out mm-hmm. like when you think you have a rodan like describe it <laughs> you know tell us about where you got it because like i thought like wow like we're so special we think we have a rodan but like there's actually a standardized form for people like Dang. me yeah so it was a little like you know exciting but then also like a little disheartening um but anyway but so i sent back the form and did all of that but then I also was like, you know what? They said this Jerome LeBlay guy is the guy to get in touch with. So I'm going to email him directly. And I emailed him photos. And he got back to me by the next morning. Wow. <laughs> and he said, you have a great discovery. This is Napoleon enveloped on Son Rev. We've lost track of it since the 1930s. I'll be out in New York in September and I must come see it. Oh, my god! And this is like in July. So this was like a matter of weeks. Um, so and like, he was in... France in Paris yeah, yeah. In Paris. and so people always are like 
when you saw the signature, were you jumping up and down? I'm like, no, I was looking at it skeptically. But yeah. like when he said that, like I remember like where I was standing when I opened that email <laughs> yeah. and it was just like, okay, like now we're cooking. Um, so yeah, so he came out in September and I have to say he's been awesome. Cause even now, like when we have questions about anything with our collection that he is someone like I can call him, email him and like, he'll always get back to me. Um, and with really like sound advice too. And he's very well connected in museums all over the world. So, um, he's been a tremendous help. And so, yeah, so he came out and he looked at it right away and was like, this is, this is really something. I mean, he actually said, so my friend, this is where you've been hiding. <laughs> when you looked at <laughs> That's, it. So That's like our, our famous quote that we uh, love to say, but it is true. He really did say that. Um, and he could tell right away, but the authentication process is more than just like looking at it and being like, yep, it's a Rodan. Um, so he could tell, but you have to prove the, the provenance of the piece. And he could tell just by things like, um, like the, like the tone, the color of the marble, mm. like based off of like all of Rodan's work, like what basically like chunk of marble he was using at that period in his life, like this. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, he, like, he's, he's an expert in Rodan and like to, I mean, knows everything, you know, like it's very different when it's like one artist that he spends his whole life looking at. And so, I mean, it's also really cool to hear him talk about the piece because it's even, you know, an art historian is going to look at it kind of like in the realm of like the whole art world, I feel like, but he's looking at it like he knows Rodin's work so in and out that it's really, um, really, really neat to hear him. But anyway, so he, when he went back to Paris, was like, I'm going to dig up what I can from our archives. And the piece had no provenance, no known provenance when I was hired. And now we know every step from Rodan studio wow. to how it got to um, the corner of Madison. So the, in the town hall in Madison. Um, so that, I mean, that's something I'm really proud of because really like when I started, I didn't think like, you know, when, when they say like, we have nothing about this piece and then like now we, we have a story. I think that's, um, that's pretty cool. And I mean, that, also increases the piece's value extraordinarily. That is so cool. Yeah. And it's also been interesting because um, there were definitely like some like naysayers because <laughs> I totally validate these people that I'm sure like someone knew it was a Rodin because there are people who are like, oh, it says this in a pamphlet that it's a Rodin. And I'm like, it probably did because like Geraldine like knowingly donated or, or knowingly put a Rodin in that um, mm. room and I'm sure, like, people knew at the time, but, like, at this time, like, we had no information. The committee, Rodan, like, didn't know it existed mm. in Madison. So, like, yes, like, there's the difference between just kind of speculation and authentication. And mm-hmm. I think that's, like, what this is, for the people I've been able to talk to about this, has been, like, a good kind of lesson in, like, you can, like, point to a painting on your wall and say, like, did you know that's a Monet? But, like, if you don't have any of the work to show that you know, and, and that provenance, that history of ownership is really important, then, you know, frankly, it's like your word against mine in, in <laughs> yeah. some ways. I mean, yes, there's also, like, experts who can tell, like, the technique and things like that. But um, for, like, the artwork that we have there, it's important for us to actually establish what it is. Mm. Um, and, I mean, frankly, we wouldn't have been able to get this piece in a museum like we did if we didn't have that um, provenance and that official authentication. Mm. So when when... When you first, like, saw it, was there anything that struck you about it? Like, did you have any sense of, like, this looks kind of special? Or, or like, was there something about it 
that made you really believe that it was authentic, even when you were getting all these people saying like, yeah, sure, there's tons of counterfeits. Like what made you kind of keep going? Yeah. I mean, I have to say when I first met the trustees and they took me on a little tour of the memorial, when I walked into the council chambers, like that whole room kind of took my breath away. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was up there. (laughs) Um, If you've never been to the Hartley Dodge Memorial, it is a (laughs) beautiful building. It's a town hall that really is, I mean, Madison's a beautiful town and like the Hartley Dodge Memorial is out of scale for Madison. Like it looks like it should be a city hall, not like a little town's town hall. Um, Geraldine built it as a memorial to her son who passed away in a car accident when he was 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted it to be, something really special and that's shown throughout the building. And then, I mean, in the collection too, that she put there. And so, I mean, when you walk into the council chambers, it's the big black and white, you know, marble floors, there's silver plated chandeliers hanging from the ceiling. There's, you know, beautiful portraits of famous Americans. It's, you know, it's kind of like breathtaking. Like it looks like this is like little like museum up there. Um, so, I mean, that whole room, I kind of thought, like, wow, this stuff is, like, <laughs> this is probably, like, you know, something, right? So, um, and, I mean, definitely the Rodin was a marble bust that, I mean, we didn't have any other marble pieces. And so, um, in terms of, you know, worrying about counterfeits and things like that, um, a lot of the counterfeits with Rodin's, um, not exclusively all of them, but many of them are uh, the bronzes, because when they're recast, mm. it's it's all, like, a kind of technical thing about like when like what casts are sort of like have like the blessing of the artist because even um after their death certain casts can still be considered authentic Hmm. depending on like where they're cast and how they're cast and things like that so the um question of like counterfeit and, and things like that is a little more technical with the bronzes but with the marble when you actually look at this piece up close it's you can't really fake that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's really the intricacy. Um, the piece too kind of looks like it's like emerging from the stone, which is very Rodin, especially mm-hmm. for this piece is from um, the later period of his life. It's from 1910 and he passed away in 1917. Cause a lot of people would ask me like, Oh, is the piece unfinished? But it's not, it's just the bottom has kind of like this roughness to it. And then uh, the bust sort of just like a, kind of almost looks like it's like emerging from like a raw natural stone. Mm. And then, you know, that's kind of juxtaposed with like very intricate work around his collar and his hair and things like that. So, I mean, that sort of skill, when you really look at it up close, like it's, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I mean, so definitely, I mean, our, the whole collection that we have up there is um, pretty amazing. So, I mean, that, it definitely kind of fit in with the room, you know, I mean, people always say like, oh, is that the first thing you looked at? I'm like, no, this whole room is, you know, you walk up there and you're just like, wow, this is really beautiful. All of those things that you now know about Rodin, like, and what you were identifying as like his, something being particular to like his later period. Did you know that, did you know Rodin well, like before you, um, before you encountered this statue or did you kind of learn it through, uh, like doing more research? No, I, um, I mean, I knew Rodin yeah, yeah. as like, uh, you know, you take your survey course of art yeah. history and you look at the kiss and you look at the thinker and like you move on. Um, I never took a course that was like French sculpture or anything like that. Um, so yeah, so I mean, and it's funny cause there are people who are like, oh my gosh, I loved Rodin. I've always loved Rodin. I'm like, I liked him. I think like, mm, yeah. <laughs> and obviously now I have like a completely different appreciation, but, um, it's not like I was like, you know, 
super well versed in in his work, to be honest. Um, and this piece too is very different than a lot of Rodin's work. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like that was the artist that was jumping out at me when I was right. looking at it and thinking like this must be a Rodin. Um, so yeah, no, I mean that was kind of stuff that I've learned on the job. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then when I, I'm really curious about the fact that there was so much attention um, when, when, when this was authenticated, right. Uh, Or when the story came out and like, it was covered by the New York times Mm -hmm. and CNN and like wall street journal (laughs) and all these different, like it was a really big deal. Um, I'm curious what that, experience was like of getting all this attention for it and were you able to like take it in did it feel surreal and also like when the attention kind of died down did you have any feeling of like let down or like like oh that was like a weird peak experience (laughs) that I'm not gonna have again (laughs) yeah I mean it's definitely um it was surprising the amount of press that it got I mean it's like a, a very famous artist and people love like a good like I mean I always love those like oh yeah. look what they found like yeah, in someone's yeah. attic like right so it, and it's definitely kind of got like a feel-good like sense to it that like we thought it would get like a little traction like locally like we always joked like maybe we'd be like below the crease in the New York Times like yeah, art section yeah. as like a little blurb um but yeah I don't think we expected it to take off this much it was also I think um interesting too to see like I felt like on the bigger levels it was a lot more about like this is a very valuable piece of art that was you know discovered where I feel like more on the local levels like people are a little bit more into like Geraldine's collection Mm -hmm. and who she was and the town of Madison so it was kind of interesting to see too like the different layers of almost interest that Mm -hmm. the story brought um it was definitely like a whirlwind especially because this time was really nuts for us because it was in August that we talked to the Philadelphia Museum of Art and they agreed to they came out and saw the piece and agreed to take it and in the art world things usually like move kind of slowly like you know people are planning for a show like two years out but this was the centennial of Rodin's death in 2017 so they said oh we'd like to come take it Um, It was, like, the end of October, early November. And I remember thinking, like, next year? Like, because this is August we're talking about. I remember being, like, I was... And they were, like, no, no, like, six weeks from now. Wow. And so our whole thing was that, like, we knew all this about the Rodan, like, prior to... You know, we we held on to the story for a while um, because of the safety concerns and the Mm. um, security concerns, really, Mm -hmm. for the piece. But we realized, like, we couldn't just whisk the piece away to a museum and then, like, not tell the town of Madison until after it was gone. We felt like that was kind of like not quite the right thing to do. So we were like, okay, we have to plan like some sort of viewing and we had a reception and things like that. But this was like a six week window to also negotiate the loan. I'm also a full-time teacher (laughs) and, you know, and, and also negotiate and work out all the shipping. Um, and then also like all this press stuff was happening. And I didn't miss a single day of work in there, which I look at now and I'm like, how did I do that? Um, oh my god! So it was definitely like a whirlwind. Um, I was going like on my lunch break to do interviews and things like that. There was one, I, which one was it? It was maybe, and 
no, not NBC. I have CBS that I, it was like, I can't get to you. Come to my school and I will walk across the street. And we like literally did the interview, like across the street from my school. Cause I was like, I cannot get to you. I don't have time. And like, I switched my lunch duty with somebody. So I had like an extra 20 minutes oh and was like out there doing an interview. So it was definitely like a fun kind of crazy time. Um, it wasn't like a letdown when it was over. Cause honestly it was kind of like so full force for like so long and then it kind of like dwindled down like right around the holidays it was like kind of nice just Mm -hmm. to like be able to get back to normal life um and then frankly like that just kind of spiraled right into um the rest of the work that I'm doing with the foundation which is to continue researching um so I mean so it's definitely like the excitement was there but I feel like we've kind of channeled it um into into what we're doing now and realizing too that people are interested which I think has been kind of um kind of neat especially I've done a lot of lectures and it's like I always kind of like wow people are still coming out to hear this you know like I even have ones that like are booked for like next spring like which uh, maybe people won't still be coming by then but uh (laughs) but it is like a story that people do enjoy hearing especially like on the local level like learning more about Geraldine R. Dodge and her you know um like the whole story with her son and the way that she you know created the memorial for him and her art collection so it's got like I said like different layers of what can kind of excite you about it you mm-hmm. know and um and so I think that that's like been something that's kind of sustained it in some ways and kind of I mean it makes me happy to continue sharing this story um and and so that I mean it's been you know it's been a lot of fun and it's been kind of like I said, like way bigger than we thought it would be. Um, but I think that was good. Yeah. Um, and, and then Drew approached you to give a commencement address, right. For the (laughs) the class of 2018. So just five years after you were sitting on the lawn. Exactly. (laughs) Um, and I really do love the address that you gave. And I'm curious, like you spoke about, you know, obviously the experience, with authenticating the statue and it, and it felt like you were kind of talking about lessons you had taken from that experience until they asked you to give that speech. Had you thought about the different lessons that you took from that experience or when they asked you to give the address, did that kind of give you the opportunity to sit down and go like, Oh, you know, I did kind of learn a lot about X, Y, and Z. Like I did grow. I did learn this about myself through this experience. Yeah, I, I feel like I had thought about it before. Um, the people I work for at the Hartley Dodge Foundation are really great. I feel like and not just being my bosses, but also sort of acting like, like a mentorship mm-hmm. role. Um, and besides, I mean, being like very proud of me, like they also mm-hmm. are good at kind of like making me think like, what do you want to do? And, you know, next and, and um, like, what have you learned from this? And like, what can you mm-hmm. do with this? And one of the ones who I work with most closely, she was like, you know, this is like the work you're doing. It's, it's kind of like a dissertation, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so like, I feel like it's been a way for me to um, definitely keep like a very firm foot in the art world, but it's also, um, it's kind of funny. Cause like, I didn't really like want to go to graduate school for art history and just like continue being a student mm-hmm. forever and like acquiring a bunch of debt and things like yeah. that. But like in some ways, like I feel like I am as much like a, a person like working as an art historian, but also like a student, you know, like you said before, like, did you know all that about Rodin? It's like, I didn't. And like, you know, I, I kind of like that, that it's not like, Oh, I specialized in this. So now I can only go work for these things. It's kind of been like really like learning on the job. And 
I mean, when I was in college, I also, like, one of my jobs was working for, like, um, a home improvement company as a blog writer for them. And so I used to write about, like, hardwood floor refinishing mm-hmm. and, like, using epoxy paint on your garage, the benefits uh, of that, like, and things like that. So things that, like, I had, like, no idea about. And, like, I would always joke, like, my dad would, like, be talking about something. I'm like, oh, right, that's, like, when you're finishing hardwood floors, it's really important to do this. And he'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, how do you know that? I'm like, yeah, you know, like, because you learn, you know, like, whatever it is that you have to learn for your job. And, I mean, now it just so happens that, like, this job that I have for them isn't a field that I studied, but no one, like, you'd be kidding yourself if you were like, I studied art history. Like, I know everything about art. It's like, there are many times someone will show me something. I'm like, I don't know who that is. And they're like, you don't know this artist? And it's like, okay, I don't know, like, every artist, you know? Like, give me a break. It's like when you're watching Jeopardy and, like, you know, like, an English or history category is on and you feel like you should know everything and you don't know, like, anything. And then you're like, gosh, that would be really embarrassing. That's like being Um, an English major and think people think you've read every book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) You know that obscure poet I'm talking about. Um, But yeah, so, I mean, I think that writing the um, commencement address definitely like gave me a nice way to kind of like encapsulate like some of those feelings and um and I mean I definitely like love education and I think that it's super important but I also think like it's important to learn like we talk about it Drew and like I said the address learn from experiences and in some ways it's almost more valuable you know um like you can only learn so much just being a student but without like actually getting out there and doing more, you're not going to really ever, like, progress past a certain level. So, so yeah, I mean, so a little bit of both, but I think, like, I definitely kind of reflected on, and like I said, what I, the opportunity I was given, like, isn't something that, like, is just handed out. Yeah. Um, And it was kind of drives me crazy, like, people be like, you're so lucky, you're so lucky, and I'm like, yeah, and I definitely, like, feel very privileged and lucky that, like, this opportunity happened, but I heard a really good quote last, uh, Last year, I was chaperoning a field trip, and it was, uh, like, a this Broadway um, accompanist, like, was talking to the kids. It was, like, a theater trip, and she was talking to the kids about auditions because she uh, plays, <laughs> playing piano for you, um, <laughs> she, she's an accompanist for a lot of Broadway auditions, and so, like, the kids were asking her about, like, tips for auditions mm-hmm. and things like that, and she was like, you have to get lucky, but that means that's when opportunity and preparedness meet. Yeah. And, yeah. like, I thought that was, especially for, like, the kids to hear that, like, that was, like, a really good way to put it, that she's, like, yes, like, you are just going to get lucky one day, but, like, you have to be prepared and, like, ready for that. Yeah. And, like, that's kind of how I feel, like, not in any way to, like, sound conceited, like, oh, I did, like, all this myself, because it's, like, not the case. But I also feel like I put the work in to, like, meet the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like, an important kind of take away too that it's like you have to be ready for like when something comes and like be ready to kind of take it on yeah yeah it's so interesting because I really I relate to so much of what you're saying including like when I started working for the Dodge Poetry Festival after graduation I would joke that I was getting I was taking an alternate route for my like MFA in poetry (laughs) because like you like I as much as I love being a student there's this other part of me that was like But I feel like if I stayed in school, like if I went straight into grad school, it would be coming from a place of like, I just want to be in school. It wouldn't be coming from a place of intentionality of like, well, I really want to like study this very specific thing and this Mm -hmm. is the way, the best way to do it. You know, it would just be me wanting to stay in that comfortable environment. And I didn't want to take on a ton of debt. (laughs) And like, I think what you're saying more and more people are able to relate to the more that it's just like so it's so unsustainable to the the you know in terms of 
the cost. Um, but also like what you're saying about the importance of experiences, like it is huge, like, Mm -hmm. and it is really cool to, to, remind ourselves that you can be a student unofficially forever and like it is about how you choose to live and engage with the world and and I do think there's something about getting older and caring less about like the labels and how it appears on the outside because some of that is like you know having a having a master's or a PhD in something some of that is about how you appear to the world totally I think that's like yeah I I totally agree with that because I mean, last week I was in D.C. at uh, Archives doing research there. And it's just kind of funny because, like, you're talking to, like, other people, like, what they, like, where they're from and things like that. And it's, like, curatorial assistants from MoMA, like, people getting their PhDs. And I feel like maybe, like, at one point I would have been, like, oh, like, I don't belong here. And I'm, like, oh, like, you know, I I work for a private foundation in New Jersey, you know. (laughs) It's, like, you're just kind of, like, you know, because you do fit in because you're doing your work, they're doing their work, but it's not like the label where it's like, I don't have a PhD. No, yeah. like I'm not a curatorial assistant at a big museum, but it's, it's still like, you know, you're there I still doing, belong here. Yeah. Doing what you're supposed to do. And, uh, yeah, I think as you get older, there's less of that, like, I need the right label to fit in yeah. sort of pressure. Yeah. Cause there's like imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. Like that, <laughs> that can creep up on you. Um, which I still feel sometimes, but I feel like the more that you do just kind of decide to like put your head down and dig in and do the work and like focus on something and really like deepen your knowledge of something, the more you Mm -hmm. can just be like, whatever, those labels don't really matter. Like, yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't do it any other way really. Like then what I wouldn't like look back and be like, Oh, I wish I had gone and gotten like a master's degree in art history, like right after college. Like I'm glad that like my road kind of led me like where it led me. And, um, and even now, like it's, you know, it works like having kind of like my foot, like I'm a teacher, but I also like have this and I feel like I'm still like relatively young. Like, you know, like I don't (laughs) know like exactly like where that like will lead me, but um, like right now it's something I'm very content with. Yeah. Yeah. And I similarly feel like it's not that I'm, that I wouldn't want to go to graduate school one day, but it would, I would hope that the intentionality behind it would be, you know, not for the sake of it, but with a very specific intention or just yeah. like, you know, or just with also more experience and knowledge. Yes, to bring to exactly. it. I mean, I kind of think exactly. about that. Like my boyfriend and I were just talking about, um, cause he had applied for some MFA programs, uh, right out of college. And the other day he was like, it's like the best thing in the world that I didn't get into. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. like, and the same kind of thing. He's like, who knows? Maybe I'd want to do that one day. But it's like, he's like, can you imagine like, what would I like? And it's, and it, I'm sure it wouldn't have been terrible. Like we would right. like things would have worked out differently. Like, but, but it's still just kind of funny to think like we're at the time that was like the only kind of path you could see. And yes. I, again, I think it's like that perpetual student. Yeah. And, and then I think also there's a lot of people that then like go and get a master's degree in some field. And like, so like, frankly, like you talked about like imposter syndrome, it's almost like in some ways, like you're the imposter when you haven't actually done anything, yeah, yeah. you know, like not to sound like totally judgmental, which I totally just did, <laughs> but like, I don't think like, you know, we put this like label on it, like, and then it makes it okay. But like, it's not, you know, it's not always necessary. And yeah. it's really expensive. <laughs> I know it's so expensive and yeah. And it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how like these things change over time. Um, because yeah, it's not really sustainable. So yeah, no, I just heard a thing the other day about how like student debt, is like way higher for like grad students now than like it's ever been. And it's like going like way beyond undergrads and things like that. And it's just, and they were talking about like, you need a master's degree to be a social worker. Like social Mm -hmm. workers don't make a ton of money. I know. I, I, I was looking into the master's in social work programs and I just kept coming back to like, 
I, like, I already have debt from undergrad. Like, how could I possibly, like, burden myself with more debt to take a low-paying job that's, like, where the burnout level is, like, yeah, you know, like, so many... It's such a difficult job. Yeah, no, it's... I mean... I mean, I, I work with students tutoring and, um, like there's ones that, you know, they'll be like, oh, this school, like, isn't that expensive? It's only like, you know, $25,000 a semester or whatever. But I'm like, do you guys understand? Like right now that money like doesn't mean anything to you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, by no means, like, I mean, when I was 18, like if you said to me like 25,000 or like 50,000, I'm like, that's, you know, (laughs) $2,500, $25,000, like whatever, you know, like it's all just kind of like this, like you know, nonsensical abstract thing. Um, and I think like, that's the problem is that like, you're so young and you're just like, Oh, that sounds great. Like, let me sign those papers. And you know, it's my boyfriend always says like, you have to look at it like a small business loan. And like, he's kind of right. Cause it's like, if you're going to get like your return, you know, like it's different when like, like I have a friend in vet school right now, like she's taking out like a lot of money, but she's like, okay, like I'm going to be a vet. And like, if you can pull that off and do that, like that seems reasonable. But when it's like, you're taking out like, more and more debt to, like, to you don't know what. Yeah. You know, it's hard. That's like, have you read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? I think it's on hold on my <laughs> app, but there's, like, a lot of people. I really, I really <laughs> appreciate um, that she talks very explicitly in that book. She's like, don't mortgage your house to get, uh, like, a degree yeah. in creative writing or something. Like, just don't do that mm-hmm. to yourself because you don't have to do it. Exactly. Um, like, she doesn't have a... Like, I, I guess she has her... I think she said she got her BA in, like, poli- political science. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she just started writing yeah. and, like, got rejection letters for, like, six years. But then eventually got published, you know. Um, so I like that she's very real about it. Like, there, there's a real cost to, like, taking on a ton of debt for something that... And I, I'm all for... Like, I believe that education and knowledge are inherently valuable... Um, and that like liberal arts is valuable and that literature is valuable and art is valuable. Like it's all very valuable, but mm-hmm. like debt is really real and the, yeah. the effects of it are really real. And, and I, you have to think about that. I think too, like it becomes like, there's such a stigma with like not going to college that like yeah. kids that like, it's not a good fit for, like don't really see that as like a real option. Yeah. And like, like my dad has a locksmith shop and like we've lived like an extremely comfortable upper middle class life like yeah. from like and like my mom was a stay at home mom and it's like you know what I mean so yeah. it's like people think like the only way to like live a good life is to like go and be super educated and get like some fancy job where you wear a suit <laughs> you know and yeah. it's like so not the case and I think that you know people who maybe would take that path like especially I mean where I teach it's a super high achieving district like I I don't know, like, how a kid in that district could be like, I don't want to go to college. Like, I think that would be a really hard yeah. thing yeah. for them to, like, actually, you know, want to do. And, like, I feel like it would be seen as a failure, yeah. you know? Um, so I think that's kind of an issue, too. There's a lot of different ways to to gain the knowledge and, like, the experience, Definitely. so. Yeah. And, I mean, because in some ways, like, I feel like college, kind of like how I feel like, you know, even like I teach middle school, it's like you're teaching the content, but like also other things. Like, I mean, I always say that with like my seventh graders, it's like, yes, I want them to know how to write a well-structured paragraph, but I also want them to know like how to meet a deadline. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like there's other skills that are there that are like, frankly, like more important, probably like more applicable throughout their life. And like, I feel like, like that's kind of what college is. It's like this, you know, in between step of being you know a kid and being not a kid and uh so I mean I guess there's like those benefits too but Mm -hmm. but I I like how you 
really drove home to the students that you were talking to at the commencement, the idea of like, you already have all the tools that you need inside of you. Like you've developed certain, you know, you've developed certain skills and strengths at Drew, most likely like curiosity Mm -hmm. and like, hopefully you've been working hard Mm -hmm. and like all these things. Um, and like everyone is walking around, I'm paraphrasing, you know, I'm saying (laughs) it in different words, but like everyone is walking around (laughs) feeling like they're not quite grown up or not quite ready or whatever. So like the only difference between someone who like authenticates a Rodin statue (laughs) and someone who, you know, looks at it and is like, eh, probably not, is that you decided to be like, you know what, maybe I don't feel completely ready or like I'm completely the right person for this, but I'm the person who's here. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to try. Um, I feel like that requires a level of self-trust. What's your relationship to like that, that self-trust? That's a really good question. I mean, I feel like I've in some ways, like when I say strong personality, I feel like that's not the type of person, like the person I imagine when I say strong personality, (laughs) like isn't me, but in some ways I feel like I am like who I am and I do think that I can do things, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think too, like as a kid, like I wasn't afraid to like have my own interests. Like it Mm -hmm. wasn't like, oh, I just like did whatever sport, like all my friends did Mm -hmm. or things like that. Like, I feel like I've always sort of been my own person as, Mm -hmm. you know, like cliche as that sounds and, um, sort of like not been afraid to like be interested in what I'm interested in. And, um, so, I mean, I think like that sort of has always been like a part of me. Um, like I always say, like thinking back, like it's kind of like funny, I mean, when I was 15, I played ice hockey when I was young. And then when I was 15, I was watching the Olympics and was like, I want to speed skate. And like, I didn't know anyone else who did this. I like just like went online and like found a club and was like, mom, I'm going to join them. Like, and then like started going, like I skated out here in Jersey and like would skate in Pennsylvania. And like, it was, and like, even my mom was like, good for you. Like, you just like literally like Googled that and like made that a thing that you do, you know? And I feel like that's kind of like how I've always been. Um, and I also think too, like, all the kind of tumultuous times like we've talked about like in college that are difficult. Like I've had the same boyfriend since I was in high school and not to sound like some girl who's like, I'm not complete without John. But like, (laughs) I do feel like having like the continuity of just like a partner who like, I didn't have to worry about like, you know, like everyone's like complaining about like stupid boyfriends or like dating Mm -hmm. and things like that. I'm like, Oh, that's nice. Like I like have always had like a lot of like a solid foundation Mm -hmm. there. And I feel like that's like, kind of given me like the strength to kind of be who I am in every other way too. And like, not feel like I have to like do things for, you know, to impress some guy or things like yeah. that, or like change myself with every relationship and things like, like that. Um, so I feel like that kind of, you know, and I have a very good family and like my parents have always been really supportive of whatever I want to do. So I feel like all those things have kind of like helped me be confident. Yeah. Um, and I mean, not that like, I always feel so confident, (laughs) but like, I mean, that's part of too, I think like that, um, like where I kind of got the idea for the commencement address is like, not to sound super conceited, which I realize now, I think I've said like three times. So like (laughs) major points off, but like many people like will be like, wow, like you got it all together. Like, oh my God, like your life is so perfect. And I'm like, wait, really? Like, cause like I can't return my library books on time or like, I don't know where I put my keys, but like, okay. Like people think like you've got it all together and you're kind of like, really do I because like I'm kind of a mess 
Um, and like, I say that like in jest, but like, you know, it's kind of this idea, like you never really feel like totally put together, right. you know? Um, and so I think just kind of like being able to like hold true to like who I am and like I said, like all those like support systems that I've had like throughout my life have kind of just like, I guess made me someone who feels like I can do things. <laughs> I really love that you are, that you talk about those relationships because I feel like, again, kind of going back, but in a very individualistic culture, it's often like, I don't know. I think sometimes it can be easy to think that like the idea that when people say you have to love yourself before you can love anyone else. And like, actually it's like we learn how to love by loving again. It's like the experience Mm -hmm. thing. Like you don't, you don't like learn how to love yourself in a vacuum. Like how would you even do that? You know, like I I always joke and like tell John, I'm like, I didn't really think I was that pretty until I met you. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is like, there's like, I think it's so, I know for me, like a really huge gift has been, um, my, my boyfriend, Martin has made me for Valentine's day a couple years in a row. Um, he made me like a video with lots of like photos from that year, but also like video clips that he took sometimes like, like a lot of candid stuff. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the time, like I didn't know he was filming or I didn't realize it at first. Um, or there were pictures that were candid or I didn't even realize he was taking or I don't, this yeah, could yeah. sound really creepy, but it's no, not, I, I promise. It's only a little creepy, but like, like creepy. <laughs> so like the first time he showed me this, I was crying because it was the first time I ever was like, like saw my, I saw myself the way that he saw me. Yeah. Yeah. And like. And you look pretty cool, right? And I was like, oh, she's not that bad. Like, oh, I, I see, like, because the only time I see myself is I'm, like, close-up dissecting myself in a mirror or I'm looking at, like, really posed photographs, which I'm terrible at. Like, I I, I get so awkward for posed photographs. <laughs> so, like, get seeing these, like, candid shots or and even just seeing video, like, I don't typically see a lot of video of myself. Yeah. So seeing, like, seeing myself, you know, like, being silly, making a joke, laughing, like, not being self-conscious. I was, like, I got to see myself through his eyes, mm-hmm. it felt like, and that was, like, the greatest gift I've ever no, that's really gotten. Cool. And I do, I just wanted to name, like, that idea of relationship and, like, it's okay to love yourself more because other people have loved you yeah, well. Yeah, or, like, feeling confident, like, because yeah. you have, like, a teammate. Like, yes. that's, like, yeah. like I said, like, without sounding like some girl who's, like, oh, my gosh, like, I couldn't do this on my own. I'm, like, that's not true, but it's, like, but I feel, like, stronger, and I feel, like, especially when you've been with someone, like, so long, like, yeah. that it's, like, you've kind of, like, grown, like, around each other, yeah. you know? And something my boyfriend Martin has said is, like, there's a certain, like, freedom when you're in a relationship and you're, you're happy in that relationship and you're secure in that relationship, when you meet other people, there's kind of a freedom because like, ideally you're not thinking of in terms of like, does this person like me or like, do I like that? That sounds exhausting. Yeah. Like it it kind of removes this like factor. Right. Exactly. Um, And he was, he was saying, yeah, you can kind of just like be yourself and Mm -hmm. like look for friendship and you're not, you know, like remove some, there's something actually that's like freeing about it for your relationships with other people, which I thought was a really interesting way of articulating that. Is there anything, is, is there anything from that speech that you've thought about more, um, 
since then and and like either you've developed the idea more or something's changed or is it has it been so long that you don't really I mean it's kind of funny that you're asking this because this is like kind of like a silly response to this question but <laughs> I love I thought is, of, <laughs> this is gonna be like grammatical it's gonna be really no fun. I thought of a better analogy the other day um Cause like there's one part where I'm like, there's no how to book for like how to navigate life. And I even like felt like when I wrote that, that it was like a little cliche than like, not like the best way to say it. But are you a fan of the great British baking show? You know, I've never watched okay, it. So maybe this, that's what I thought too. Well, like, this okay. is too specific. I tried to watch it once. Um, and I had food poisoning and I had to you turn it off. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, the second round, I'll keep it short. But the second <laughs> round in the Great British Baking Show, they always do a technical challenge where, like, they get, like, some obscure dessert and they get, like, part of the recipe, but, like, all the ingredients and, like, things like the baking time might be, like, missing or, like, the amount. And, like, oh. they have to create it. And, like, the other day we were watching it and I was like, this is what I meant. Like, you have, like, <laughs> half the recipe and you, like, are missing some information, but, like, you've got all the ingredients there. And, like, you're a good baker. Like, so just trust yourself. And now I feel like that, like, whole thing is just, like, a metaphor for, like, mm. life and, like, everything I was talking about there. Because, like, it is... And, like, they all kind of freak out about it. And, like, occasionally there's, like, one or two who, like, really, like, keep their cool or are, like, I used to make this all the time. Yeah. Like, I have some, like, weird past experience that's yeah. helping me. And, like, ultimately, like whenever we watch it, we're always like, wow, like they actually came out like pretty well considering like they had never made a whatever yep. this is. And like, I kind of feel like that's, that's life. Like yeah. you don't get all the instructions. You don't get, you know, yep. everything, but like you've got to rely on like your past experiences and like your own confidence and kind of yeah. make it work. I love that. So yeah, maybe I shouldn't have put that in there, but like <laughs> audience, <laughs> British baking show, anyone, anyone? Are you familiar? <laughs> but, no, I uh, love that. But yeah, but it kind of like the other day I was like, that's, kind of what I was trying to say. And I like that what you're saying too is like, it's not a complete blank either. Cause so like you kind of say in the address, it's not, it's not like you're, you don't have any preparation. Right. Like we didn't drop you off into like a Martian territory. Like this is the world. You're a human. Like go, uh, yeah. Trust, (laughs) trust yourself. And also I think like for me, maybe, and maybe this is kind of a gift of the further I get from school, as much as I love school, like I don't I'm getting better at not seeing everything as a test. <laughs> I feel like I used to like see everything as a test and the stakes always felt so high yeah. for things that now I'm better able to be like, what are the stakes with this situation? <laughs> really? Like, yeah, you know, like, is it really that big of a deal? And is this really a test of my character and my aptitude and all this? Or is it just like an experience and I'll work it out? You yeah. Know? No, I think that's definitely like just kind of being able to take situations down a notch and I mean I say this and like I'm sure like someone who knows me listening to this would be like yeah okay like that's like so not you it's like I am very competitive and like I do but like I also kind of like choose like a time and place like there are certain things that even like things around the house that like John will be like oh like do you want these light fixtures or this light fixture and I'm like I really don't care where like it seems like something that like I would like sit there and like stress over but like there are other times where I'm just like nope like I'm not and not that I don't, like, care about, like, what light fixture we have mm-hmm. in that bedroom. But it's just, like, there are things, like, I'm not going to give, like, my mental energy yep. to, to, like, stress about. Because, yep. like, it's not worth it. They're both yep. lovely, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you have time for me to ask one more question? Sure. I know we've been talking for a long time. Um, it's my standard question. You might be familiar with it. Um, what is something that you're learning about or growing into right now? 
So on like a very like literal level level or like a philosophical like soul whatever okay feels like I always say to people like I'm so like it could be completely out of left field it could have nothing to do with anything we've talked about like whatever for you just feels like so literally what I've been learning about that's like most outside of my regular learning Mm -hmm. um John and I are getting a puppy, as I told you. Uh, So we've been reading a book together on raising a puppy. It's, like, written by these monks in upstate New York that raise German shepherds. And uh, so, like, I grew up with dogs and was, like, very involved in, like, the rearing and training. But this time it's, like, all on us. And, like, I've worked – I've had a horse for a long time. And I've, like, worked with horses since I was nine years old. So, like, I feel, like, confident, like, incompetent with my ability with animals. But at the same time, I'm like, we're getting this pup when he's really little. want to make sure we do everything as close to right as we can, which really just, like, stresses me out. Because I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my gosh. These are, it's, like, critical periods, like, with a baby, where it's, like, mm. before 12 weeks, if you don't socialize them enough, like, he's going to be ruined. <laughs> so, um, and, like, we read it out loud together. either like, before we go to bed or, like, last week we were uh, on a little road trip. So we, like, read it in the car and, uh yeah, I've been learning a lot about raising a puppy. Aww. <laughs> Are you, do you know, do you have a name picked out already? We have some we're tossing around, but we okay. said we've got to like see the little pup and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of decide what, uh, what speaks to us. Even though this book with the monks, they said not to choose a human name because it makes people anthropomorphize the animal too much. <laughs> so we got to rethink some things, but uh, I mean, we don't have to do everything the monks say, but you know, <laughs> yeah. trying to, trying to raise a good dog. <laughs> Can I can I test out my one other question on yes. you? Okay. Um, the other one that I've been toying with lately is like what's what's something that has been making you feel alive recently? It's a little bit of a harder one, but yeah, I mean I'd have to say the work that I do for the Hartley Dodge Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I really get really excited about the research I'm doing. It's kind of funny, like, when I'm working in archives a lot, it's, like, super quiet. Like, everyone's yeah. just, like, keeping to themselves. And there are times, like, I'm reading something, and I just, like, want to tap the person on the shoulder <laughs> next to me and be like, do you see what I just found? Which would, like, mean nothing to them because yep. it's, like, not what they're trying to prove. Um, but, like, it makes me really excited. Mm. Um, I, like, talk to, like, my mom about it all the time. I'm like, look at this letter I found and, like, reading her things, like, which she, like, you know humors me with by like being very excited too <laughs> yeah. but uh like I'm you know always like just I feel like I come home and I'm like brimming with excitement about um what we're doing there so so yeah I mean that's not just a plug for uh <laughs> people I work for but really it it's truly yeah. like I feel like like my heart rate probably like increases when I start talking about yeah, it I love that and it reminds me of um when I had Andy Feldman on the podcast talking about his um you know, he's an engineer full-time, but he also has this music career. Mm-hmm. And even for myself, like, I have my, my day job and I do this podcast and yeah. it brings me so much joy. And I think it's something, particularly talking about college and for people who maybe are in college now who are listening or, like, you know, um, gra- who just graduated or something, like, it can feel like, oh, I have to pick, like, one career track and then I'm just kind of like, that's it, that's my life. Yeah. And I feel like it's really important to hear people talk about, like, and you, I know that you really enjoy teaching as well, but, mm-hmm. like, there are other parts of your life, too, and, like, you yeah. can make time for other things, especially if that's something that you feel really passionate about. No, definitely. And I think just, like, being passionate about something is, like, one of the most important things. Like, yeah. when I look at my students, like, I 
get concerned about the ones who just seem sort of like not into anything. You yeah. know, it's like even kids who like aren't great students, if like they're like really into like the sport they play or like they're really into music or like they do the drama every year. Mm-hmm. It's like the students that really like don't do their homework, but then when you talk to their parents, they're like, well, they don't really have any interest. Yeah. It's like those are the kids that. I don't want to say I don't understand, but, like, I really worry, and, like, I feel like if I was a parent, I would be, like, and I'm sure their parents are, you know, but, Mm -hmm. like, really trying to push them to find something, because I feel like as a kid, like, or even now, like, there's, I'm interested in everything. (laughs) Like, I feel like there's, like, not enough time for, like, everything I want to learn about or everything I want to do. Yeah. Um, And so I just think that's, like, important to kind of find and cultivate and, like, find what it is that makes you happy. Yeah. That's lovely. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. This has been lovely. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate all of your time, and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Oh, I love it. I, uh, <laughs> you know, while I'm cooking or running, it's, it's great. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit a Moon by Paul Finn.